Hill. Thanks so much for joining us on Making Healthcare Work for You, Different Perspectives and Empowering Solutions. I'm Stephanie Fields, and today I'm joined by Tim Berry, who is the co-founder and CEO of Village MD. Thanks so much for being here. Yeah, thanks, Stephanie. Thrilled to be here. I am so excited to have this conversation because you work in all the sweet spots that we love on the show. By the way, a poor got stuck in an airport, so that's why he's missing today. But you t- deal with primary care, primarily, that's your number one. And then you also are into value-based care. You have a partnership with Walgreens to have, you know, have a better partnership, be in the communities and help people with prescription adherence. And then you also have gotten into and expanded the multi-specialty area. So you are really covering the bases to try to get to these people in every way that you can. You said that you have 770 locations and throughout the nation, you're able to serve these people where they need it, when they need it, even with home-based care. So why don't you tell us a little bit about why primary care is so important to you and why it's so important to do whatever you can to meet these patients where they are to get that care? Yeah, great question. Thanks, Stephanie. Um, you know, when, we, when I've looked at the, the healthcare system and we look at all of the, the medical misery that patients experience, which... Uh, is another way of saying all of the costs in the healthcare system, the complexity in the system. It really kind of boils down to that we, you know, there's less than one in five Americans who's, who uh, are accountable for 85% of the total medical spend in this country, right? And those one in five Americans are people who have chronic disease. And so when, we, when we've looked at it, what, what generally happens is that someone who has uh, chronic disease, they're diagnosed and then they kind of live with a, a, if you will, a simple level of that chronic disease, and then it starts to creep up and then it creeps up further and it creeps up further. And so, um, you know, and, and then they need further and further levels of specialization around their care. And so when we looked at how do we solve the problems of the U.S. healthcare system, we just kept going further back and saying, well, what, what could we have done along the way to prevent the further exacerbation of disease. And frankly, when you do that, all roads lead you down the path to primary care, but not primary care as we do it today. A a very different type of primary care model, a primary care model that is not reacting to whoever gets sick, but being instead being very proactive and looking at the total patient panel that a doctor has. And, and proactively managing the patients, making sure you're available to patients 24 seven, make sure you're connecting care for the patients across the entire ecosystem. And so we wanted to make sure that we built a, a proactive high touch 24 seven model of care that ensured that for those patients who have chronic disease, who are living with those, those diseases 24 seven, that we're there for them and we're proactively helping them and supporting them and caring for them along their journey. I love that you said, you know, along the road, because to me in my head, whenever you're talking about it, it's the same as using a map. You know, you could look at the map before you go, you can have an idea and prepare ahead of time, or you could do what we do so many times, which is like, I'm following maps. Oh my God, something like I've lost my reception. Now I'm off an exit that I don't know. And I'm trying to backtrack. Right. It's like that with primary care. You know, let's get ahead of this. Let's not get off the wrong exit. Nobody wants to do that. Nobody wants to have to make all of those lifestyle changes. If you can do the incremental things to stay on that path from the beginning. 
Yeah, there's the expression, uh, if, if you don't know where you're going, any road will get you there, right? Obviously, we want to have people comply with medications and get the treatments that they need. But you still said that even if people decide that they don't want to for some reason or another, that it's important to still maintain that relationship with their primary care provider and support those patients to the degree that you can and have them incrementally make whatever changes they're willing. And hopefully you can get them on board with full compliance at some point. But tell us a little bit about how important that relationship is with your primary care provider. So, you know, what's interesting is that the, um, you know, the, the, the more people study and understand the healthcare system, the, the, there's sort of one overwhelming conclusion, and that is for, for a patient to have a, a relationship with a primary care doctor and, and a, a healthy one that is involved, you know, recurring visits with that primary care doctor is like the best thing that you can do in terms of, of, of having long-term outcomes. And so all the data uh, tells us that and that supports that. And frankly, that's not just for, for those people who are kind of younger and healthy today, but even people who are you know, experiencing the onset of some disease states, that, that having re recurring uh, dialogue and engagement with your primary care doctor does in fact drive better outcomes. We even see with, our, with a number of our elderly patients who have you know, COPD, CHF, what we've seen in, in our data is that the more they are engaged with the primary care doc, not just always in the clinic, sometimes it's in the home because we do uh, home visits. Sometimes it's it's through, you know, a telehealth visit like this, sometimes it's even as simple as the phone or text. But the more that we touch the patient, the better their outcomes are, right? The fewer ER visits they have, the fewer hospitalizations they have. And so it, it's just such an important thing that, that I, I don't know why as a society, we're not screaming it from the, the rafters, but everybody knows that that's one of the key things. And I think part of it, Stephanie, is like one of the things that we do at Village, I think is quite unique is that, you know, we, we, we have to acknowledge that we have to meet people wherever they're at, right? So some people learn that they're pre-diabetic and they start working out six days a week and they change the way they eat and they change the way they sleep and yada, 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 right? Others say, you know what, I'm going to keep living my life. And, and from our lens, it's important that we continue to still engage with that patient and build trust with that patient. Because in our experience, there always becomes a time where, where they want to make a change. Sometimes it might be a little bit too late to change, to, to create enormous change. Um, but it's it's our job to make sure that we're always meeting people where they're at, building trust, making sure that they know that we're there to support them and help them regardless of which path they decide to take. I like when you were talking about it too, that, you know, you want to keep them where they are at minimum. You know, sometimes right. you can reverse things and you do try to do that where you can. If that's possible, right. yeah, let's do that and prevent any other future problem. Right. But a lot of times for people who either might have complex issues or might not be fully on board at the beginning of a diagnosis, that at least you can keep them from going up that ladder. And right. that does still help with the spend overall, because it, it's, it if people yeah. aren't doing anything, at least to maintain, you're in a real pickle. Right. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you look at any kind of core chronic disease state, there's different stages to it. Um, it might be, it might be called different things, but, but there's always a staging element to it. And so um, and usually when you hit that next stage, there's a step function increase in the, in the level of complexity that your body will experience and therefore a level of incremental cost in the, in the healthcare system. And so 
you know, if, if, if you can sort of hold each of those, if there's normally four stages and they all happen within the span of, you know, 12 to 15 years, if you can extend that to now a 20 year period, you've, you've created, you know, longevity, you've created a better life and lifestyle. It's pretty incredible that you said that one in five is creating so much of the cost. Yeah. And yet when you have a relationship with a primary care provider, the way that Village MD does really getting in there with the patients and knowing them, it seems like that would allow them to focus and spend their time and be more dedicated to that one in five, which would be manageable for them knowing, okay, this person needs extra care. I really have to help this person figure this out because this is a complex situation. So how does your model allow those providers to help that one in five uh, thrive? Yeah. So part of it is the use of data and technology. So, so literally everything we learn about the patient, whether it be from um, uh, claims data that we get from the payers or whether it be uh, pharmacy data, whether it's hospital data, whether it's data because they have a wearable device, like whatever information that they have, we have on them, we're constantly using to better assess and better predict who is likely to experience an adverse health outcome. Um, and so from that standpoint, it really does start with the technology and the data. That's first and foremost. The second is to make sure that uh, that the approach to a, a proactive, high-touch, 24-7 model of primary care needs to realize that the primary care doc can't do everything, right? The primary can't doc, care doc can't be on 24-7. So for us, it was how do we create an ecosystem that allows for that to, you know, more mirror the needs of the patients. And so part of it for us is making sure that we have social workers, we have pharmacists, we have doctors who go see patients in the home. And so we try to create this, we have hospitalists, we, we try to create this ecosystem so that, um, that, that when, when a patient has needs, we can meet those needs. Um, and, and sometimes meeting the needs even before the patient might realize they have the need, right? Um, so if we, if, we, if we come to realize that they're not picking up a certain amount of their medication or they're not refilling a certain type of medication frequently enough, then, then we're proactively reaching out and engaging that patient so that we don't end up with an adverse outcome and they end up in the emergency room because they're not stabilized, right? So, so for us, it's, it's recognizing that we have data and we have technology, but that we also have to make sure we have a team-based approach to the way that we take care of our patients. Um, and then it's just a matter of, of, you know, how do you keep building that trust with patients to, to, so that they know that you're not, you know, you're not a, a healthcare provider who's, just trying to get an extra $60 for a visit. But in fact, you're someone who's caring about their, their total outcome, because what you want to get is a, a model where, where they're, the quality of care they're receiving is, is quantifiably really excellent. And they're not realizing as much complexity in their, in their life. By providing value-based care, you really are putting your money where your mouth is with that. Exactly and right. you're serving those patients in that way, I think you're building the trust. You know, I think it was the pre-interview you and I were talking about going into a home and talking to somebody after they've had surgery. You said if somebody had, you know, a need to see somebody within 48 hours of a surgery to see a primary care provider, and then they're leaving the hospital, you know, probably disoriented from all the things that happened with this bottle bag of bottles of pills. Right. You know, right. tell us what is it like in those situations because that it seems like an incredible 
special niche that you're able to fill for them to help them realize that you're not, it's not us and them. And it's, it doesn't seem like a power right. dynamic then either that it's yeah. like, you know, oh, this person knows this and I, I'm afraid to ask questions, but it's a collaborative relationship. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's interesting, Stephanie, because it, so one of the things that we try to sort of uh, do culturally is to think of all of the patients as, as like our, our family. Right. And so if, if, if one of our parents was admitted to the hospital, I, I'm quite certain we'd probably drop everything we were doing and we would attend to, you know, to our parent. Um, and and we, we would appreciate the fact that they're in, that they're going through a traumatic experience. And so if you just sort of break down how things work, you know, the average uh, time someone's hospitalized for a hospital stay is somewhere between three and a half and four and a half days, right? And so they're, they're in this, this and, and they're, they're weak and they're, they're not, may not have all their mental faculties. And so, you know, they're going through a really traumatic experience. They don't, not really sleeping. They're getting poked and prodded at all hours of the night. And then it comes time for the discharge. And, you know, even the most well-intended individuals in the hospital system are sort of walking them through. Here's, you know, here's your list of follow-up appointments. Here's your list of uh, medications, et cetera, et cetera. And so it, it, it's pretty overwhelming for, for that patient. And if they don't have someone you know, a caregiver who's with them at that point in time, it, it's it's multiplied the level of complexity we should expect. And so, you know, from that standpoint, we're making sure that, you know, if we have hospitalists at that hospital, they're going to make sure that our, that our patients understand everything about the discharge instructions, right? We're going to make sure we're scheduling the visits ahead of time. We're going to make sure we're looking at the list of medications that they're going to leave with. And we're making sure they get those medications. And we're also comparing it to the other medications that they may be on because we have a complete view of what's going on with the patient to make sure that we say to them during the next week while you're healing from this surgery, we don't necessarily want you on this medication, but while you're taking this particular medication. But then we're then then we, when the patient leaves, we're also making sure that we're following up, we're getting into the home, we're seeing what's going on in the home environment um, by having you know doctors who take care of patients in the home. Um, and then we're making sure that we follow up and see the patient within a really short period of time, right? We, we are like in, in, in the healthcare system, I think the number is something like, you know, 10 to 12% of, of patients who are discharged from a hospital actually get in to see their primary care doc within the 48 hours. That's a horrible stat, right? Like that we, we, should, we should mandate that that's something that, uh, that, that happens for every patient who's hospitalized because when we, we know that when that happens statistically, readmission rates come down. And so like for us, it's all about finding those small things, but doing it in a way that's really focused on the human and, and creating a human element to it because that's what we would do if it was if it was if it was my mom, those are the kinds of things that we would do. What about the providers who are working within Village MD? Because it seems, as you've been talking, that you also care very much for them and their life. And you said doctors can't do this 24-7. We know burnout's yeah. real of all healthcare providers. And it seems as though you talked about the ecosystem and you've found a way to finally walk the line of patient support to a really strong degree but also supporting the people who are working for Village MD and allowing them to thrive so that they can provide this best care. So how do you build a company like that? Because that is a really tricky balance to, to find and you seem as though you found it. 
Well, I mean, let's, we should be clear. Like, it, I think it's a journey that will be on forever, right? At the, at, at the end of the day, we, we have to look at the macro level for a second. We have more demand of the 300 plus Americans in terms of what they need from the healthcare system than we have supply of physicians and nurse practitioners and physician assistants who can meet the need that like that, that, that there's a, there's a reality around that. So anytime you have that much demand on that limited supply, you're going to create tension. Um, and so, so I, I'd love to tell you that everything we're doing is perfect. It's not, we're not perfect. Um, I probably give us like a, a B or a B minus grade on a lot of things many days. Um, but I think what, what, what the doctors who, who work with Village, they know is that they know that our heartbeat is one that is focused on how do we just do the best thing we can every single day for the patient. And I think when, when doctors work in an environment that they know that this is about how do we get the best outcome for the patient versus, hey, am I sending enough referrals over to XYZ specialist who works in the hospital system? I think when they, when they know that this is about the patient and that everything we're doing is trying to get a better outcome for the patient, I think that is gives some wind to the sales. The other thing that we do is that we, we, you know, we, we put our money where our mouth like there's there are there are thousands of resources inside of Village MD who are working on technology to make life easier for docs in the EMR. There's 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 data and analytics so that doctors get information, real information, clinical information about their patients. There's there's people who are who are allowing doctors to sort of think about different types of um, models of care differently and to actually you know do some analytics around what that modeling might look like. And we have, we allow docs to, to pursue pilots to do uh, food as medicine. And so, so the, the, the doctors know that, that, that at the end of the day, like the solution of our healthcare system involves them being the central part of it that is focused on patient outcomes. And I think that that's, that to me is, is more than anything, what I think it makes us quite unique is that we, we value everything that the doctors bring to bear and we want them to be part artist and part scientist. And we never want them to lose that. And, and, and frankly, everything we do is trying to get them more and more to have the opportunity to just to spend that extra time with patients because what we know is the more, as I mentioned earlier, the more we you know, see and touch patients, the better outcomes we have. Why is this so important to you? Why personally does this mission matter to you? You know, Stephanie, I, um, I, I grew up in a small town in uh, Wisconsin and, um, and, and I, I grew up in a community that, uh, where I saw the benefit of people caring for other people. Um, and, and, and it just, it's, it's something that, uh, you know, has, has always stuck with me. Right. And I, you know, you think about, um, people having to go through difficult challenges and times in their life. And, um, you know, and I think that there's probably nothing more, more challenging than the thought of, um, you know, losing your, you know, some component of your health. It, it, it it's, it ultimately takes away some of your individuality, some of the, your freedom and, it really does change your life. And so, um, you know, I, 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 when I see people who are, who are challenged and are struggling um, and, and to know that, that there's uh, a healthcare system or an organization 
that um, is going to do everything we can to try to make their life uh, better and give them hopefully back some of that individuality and that freedom. Um, you know, that, that, that's what motivates me every day. It's the reason I, I, I get out of bed and, and I, and frankly, you know, Stephanie, like the, the thing is that, um, in our healthcare system, you know, chronic disease is what drives all the complexity, solving the problems that people have tied to chronic disease. Like there's much smarter people than me who will figure out medications and you know new devices that that help along the way, but but I I, I think that the, the the biggest key to success of solving the problems of our healthcare system is people caring, spending time with their patients more, supporting their patients, demonstrating love and support. Um, I think I think if we do that, we end up with a better healthcare system. We end up with a better society. I totally agree. I love that. I'm totally on board with your mission. I think you're doing amazing work and appreciate you being here and having this conversation. Yeah. Thanks, Stephanie. And thank you all for watching. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.